there. And so, a big round of applause, please, for Phil Schluter of Schluter's Coffee. Well done. Which button do I press? Just that one. Yeah, I've got my notes here. Great, thanks very much. Um, Steve, that's quite an introduction. See if I can live up to that. I feel a bit like Britney Spears at the moment with this... Uh, Mic on. Uh, this is my title, TIA. Has anyone heard the phrase TIA? Too many times. Yes. Well, Steve says he's heard it too many times. You've, you've traveled in Africa a fair bit. You have probably heard the phrase TIA. People say TIA when things go wrong. They say, this is Africa. TIA generally means your flight's been canceled again. You've got stuck in the mud, or you've had your third puncture of the afternoon and realize you have no more spare tires and you're bedding down for the night. Uh, Africa can be frustrating. Travel in Africa can be very frustrating. Flights are cancelled. I had one cancelled on me recently. Uh, your luggage is quite often lost. Um, but unfortunately, TIA sometimes comes to just summarize what a lot of Europeans and a lot of travelers to Africa end up thinking Africa is all about. This, I took off the BBC website uh, a couple of days ago when I was preparing this. This is the news we often see uh, on Africa, uh, both on our TV screens and on the web. I struggle to find anything positive uh, in these news items. It's fairly typical. Uh, you've got rebels, you've got people getting uh, arrested, you've got judicial failings, accusations. Yeah, a lot of bad. There's, there's very little you can find positive even when you uh, look for it. These are the photos we often see. Um, coming out of Africa. This is uh, the recent troubles in Goma. Uh, these are the refugees leaving. Now, I'm someone who has uh, grown up in Africa. I grew up in Kenya. I left when I was nine, which I uh, recognize as very young. But I've been back pretty much every year since I left. And I absolutely love going to Africa. And this is the Africa I think is presented to us most of the time in the West. And I want to tell you that I don't think it's the full story of Africa and tell you that this is the Africa that I know. I don't know how I get this. I'm just going to see if I can get this video to start. Right, that was uh, in Butembo, not far from Goma. We have an office in Goma. I went out not long after the troubles in December, which you just saw the photos of. This was our experience of going to Butembo. These were the ladies who were handpicking coffees. We went in, we had a chat to them, and as we left, they came out spontaneously and started dancing and singing in harmony. You get a welcome. That word karibuni is the Swahili for welcome to, uh, the, in the plural, 
welcoming visitors, Karibuni Marafiki. Uh, you get a very, very warm welcome whenever you go and visit suppliers in Africa. I challenge many of you uh, to find a roasting community either in Europe or America who will welcome you in quite the same way. Not to say the roasting community does not welcome as well. I'm always challenged. I have four children at home. I have a fairly busy job. When I go to visit uh, many of our suppliers, they pick us up at the airport, they take us out for dinner. They're almost loath to leave you in your room and let you sleep overnight, and they're back there in the morning to look after you the next day. And when they come to uh, visit us, we struggle to find the time between our children and our family and our job to give them uh, the proper welcome that we should. So they really have a great value for people and for relationships, which I think has often been lost uh, in Europe and the West as a whole. So in terms of relationships, welcome, I think Africa is very much the, the first world and Europe is very much the third world. Africa also has, uh, these are our neighbors in Burundi. I went up recently to a piece of land we're uh, looking at for a, a mill and these were the neighbors who all ran up to see us and were extremely uh, friendly. Africa also has amazing scenery and natural resources. One great thing about traveling in Africa is golden hour. So from about 5 p.m. to 6.15, 6.45, depending on where you are, you have golden hour. Everything around you turns golden. This I took uh, two weeks ago in Tanzania. There are two trucks coming down the road at us, on this, coming uh, in the same direction at us, but they normally find a way around you. I don't know if you can see that photo. That's the view in Mbinga in southern Tanzania. It's absolutely breathtaking. I think my favorite view in Africa is probably the one if you go down to Western Harar Golotcha, you go over the top of the escarpment um, from Nazareth up to 3,000 meters and you feel like you're standing on the top of the world. This is taken out my window flying in to Butchambura recently. And this is a thunderstorm over Goma. But it was a bit like watching a firework display. Very difficult to harness the power that's in the thunderstorm. But what it does tell you is they have plenty of rain in much of Africa. The view that most of my friends who have not been to Africa would have of Africa is a desert land with starving people and very little vegetation. Most of the time when you travel there in coffee regions, you find that it's lush, that it's green, that it has fertile soil, and that wherever you plant anything, it grows very fast. We have small coffee plants we're growing in our office. After two years, they're about this high. And I keep taking photos of uh, six-month-old plants in, on my uh, travels to show the guy in the office who's trying to grow them and say, well, I'm sorry, your conditions are not quite as good as the ones we see. These are, this is a map I saw recently on a Tanzanian estate. It just has all the resources, natural resources that Africa has. This is just Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, but you have gemstones, mica, copper, diamonds, gold, iron ore, phosphate. It shows where they're placed. It is a continent absolutely full of natural resources and potential. I must say I'm breaking in this uh, talk one of my golden rules, one of my pet hates in life is people talking about Africa and presenting it as a, a continent where everything is exactly the same. They'll happily talk about individual countries in Europe or Central America, I'll talk about Afghanistan and then they say oh, Africa. And they talk about it as a, uh, as a country rather than a continent. Um, it's very much a varied continent with many different countries. For the sake of this talk, I'm breaking uh, my own rules. This is what I'd like to call efficiency. 
in Burundi, okay, a very hilly country, whenever you get stuck behind a truck going up a hill, this is what you see. There are four or five cyclists hanging on to the back of the truck. They get to the top of the hill. That's a good lean on the corner here to manage to get in. Um, but it's extremely efficient. At the top, they let go and they go down the hill. I think sometimes we've got far too, uh, gone far too far with health and safety um, in Western Europe and lost a lot of the efficiencies we might otherwise have. This is hard work. This is the same factory you just saw the ladies singing from. But these guys are carrying bags of coffee that are maybe 80 kilos. I've been in the Port of Mombasa seeing people carrying two 60 kilo bags, one on each shoulder, to load containers. I am told by my roasting friends that it now costs them six cents a pound to offload coffee in 60 kilo bags in Europe because people in warehouses are not allowed to carry more than 20 kilos each. So you need three people to pick the bag off the top, stick it on the conveyor belt and three people to pick it off the bottom. That is the reality. Most people we deal with in Africa are willing to work extremely hard. They're willing to put their back into things. Uh, and I think if we're not careful and what's already happening is that whilst our economies are stagnating, theirs are going to boom. This is a photo taken. We have ladies who do handpicking for us in Goma. They get $2 a day. They get fed at midday and they are extremely happy. And when we go to visit, they say, thank you for being here. We love having a job. We love coming to work. We love working hard. Um, and it's just a very different perspective than you often feel um, is the case particularly in the current Western economies. Africa has a young population. Whilst we're suffering with a very aging population and the problem of providing for pension funds and working out how we're going to continue to support our aging population, Africa has an extremely young population full of potential and energy. Uh, the yellow section Africa, uh, the median age has been between 40, 14 and 20 years old. If you look at France, UK, we're up to 30, 35, or 35 to 40. We do have uh, an issue in Europe on how we're going to support people in Africa. The issue is more how to feed the uh, young population. But in the years that come ahead, they will have a huge, working, efficient population. This is the GDP growth currently in Europe. So. Uh, all the black countries have had two quarters of shrinking GDP. The other countries' life is not much better. GDP is either flat or growing extremely slowly. This, these are current GDP growths in African countries. So you can see there 6%, 7% across the continent. Africa's economies are growing, and they are growing very, very fast. However, we are still left with the very stark issue. These are my children about four years ago. My eldest two are now a bit older in their best Ethiopian dress. And the other photo is a photo I took in Kochere in Yergashefe. And the stark reality is we do live extremely comfortable lives in Europe. And we are dealing with a uh, coffee producing population in Africa who are abundantly smallholders and who do live often in abject poverty. This is the uh, percentage of coffee in each African producing countries. This is, these are our own estimates, which is produced by smallholders. So whereas Brazil produces most of its coffee on large estates or some smaller estates, Africa is really a smallholder produced crop. 
Zimbabwe didn't have any smallholders, but it hardly has any coffee. Zambia is very similar. Uh, I heard Mick Wheeler speak recently telling me that uh, the smallholders had a very limited future in the world of coffee. He believes that they will not be producing coffee in 20 years' time. I think at least the lesson in Africa is where you don't have smallholders, you don't have a sector uh, which will last the course. If you look at Angola's robusta production, which was about 4 million bags, and Uganda's robusta production, which was the same in the 60s, they both had a civil war. Angola was based on plantations, and the production disappeared altogether. Africa, uh, Uganda was based on smallholders, and the production dipped slightly, but has maintained a similar level and carried on. A lot of us here, especially in the specialty industry, are wanting and willing to see development in the producing countries we work with. We're talking about Africa here, so we want to see a change made in Africa. Our mission statement in, as a company is to transform lives in Africa through commerce in a mutually profitable way. We want to see a real change in lives in Africa. That's what motivates us. But I don't know how often we sit down and actually ask ourselves, what do we really mean by seeing development? What do we really expect? On the left, you have Beni High Street, very little Goudronné uh, uh, um, paved roads in Beni. And on the right, you have Feshi, which is uh, a small, beautiful town uh, in Switzerland where I used to live. I want to ask, are we expecting that Beni in DR Congo will turn into Feshi? If we pay higher prices for coffee, if we support communities, if we see development, is this what we're expecting to happen? And if so, are we expecting it to happen by 2020, or by 2050, or by 2100, or is it going to take thousands of years? I think we need to ask ourselves these questions, because it's, it's a good way to then question what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it. Having spoken about GDP and shown that African GDP is growing, I think GDP is a very limited way of looking at a society and working out what that society is good at and, what, and seeing the good in a society. JF Kennedy did a fantastic speech on uh, GDP, which I'm about to play, which I think shows how limited GDP is as a figure. Too much and for too long, we seem to have surrendered personal excellence and community values in the mere accumulation of material things. Our gross national product now is over $800 billion a year. But that gross national product, if we judge the United States of America by that, that gross national product counts air pollution and cigarette advertising and ambulances to clear our highways of carnage. It counts special locks for our doors and the jails for the people who break them. It counts the destruction of the redwoods and the loss of our natural wonders in chaotic sprawl. It counts napalm and it counts nuclear warheads and armored cars for the police to fight the riots in our cities. It counts Whitman's rifle and Spex knife and the television programs which glorify violence in order to sell toys to our children. Yet the gross national product does not allow for the health of our children, the quality of their education, or the joy of their play. It does not include the beauty of our poetry or the strength of our marriages, the intelligence of our public debate for the integrity of our public officials. It measures neither our wit nor our courage, neither our wisdom nor our learning, neither our compassion nor our devotion to our country. It measures everything in short, except that which makes life worthwhile. 
and it can tell us everything about America, except why we are proud that we are Americans. So I think that makes a point. Um, I think we're very good at thinking we are the first world, and there's other worlds which are second or third. I think in many ways we've become the third world, and the things that matter in life have been held on to uh, by other people who are now the first world. So I think uh, we need to remember when we travel, when we look at Africa, this is the Africa that I know and I love, and I get uh, the joy of visiting as part of being in the coffee industry, you'll see that our strap line says the joy of African coffee. It used to say the African coffee people, and we thought, well, that describes very well who we are, but it doesn't describe what we feel about what we do. And we feel that uh, Africa as a continent is the future, has huge potential. The warmth of the people, the beauty of the scenery, the abundance of the natural resources, and the potential of a young population give Africa an amazing future. There's another phrase often used in Africa, which was put on as a title here, which is Africa wins again. Again, when your flight is canceled, a lot of people say Africa wins again. We've lost, Africa's won, my flight is no longer there. Well, I think if you cup coffee often as I do, you'll find that Africa wins again on the cupping table. Africa has some of the finest coffees in the world. If you look at the prices paid for good volumes of coffee, I think there's no country like Ethiopia probably in the current market and Kenya in uh, previous years, and you look at some of the best Rwandan Burundi coffees, Africa has some of the finest coffees. We need as a... Sorry, there's some... Uh, obviously some great barista art going on uh, next to us. We need as a coffee community to engage with Africa, to build a future with Africa, and to make sure that those coffees maintain, uh, are still available to consumers in the years ahead, because without them we may have a rather boring coffee landscape which is really not as interesting as it is today. Thank you. No, thank you. That was uh, super interesting. It was excellent. Well done. I kind of hadn't thought about it, but Africa is always seen as kind of, you know, that, that oh, Africa. And I've done it myself, like, oh, not again. And TIA, you, you hear lots. That, that was really good. Thanks. Um, I don't think I've ever heard anybody speak so passionately about Africa. It was really, was really, really inspiring. And I think that the, the approach you took with it was really, uh, really, really excellent. I think it's one of the best talks we've ever had on Tamper Tantrum. Um, what do you... Okay, so if you could change one thing about how specialty coffee is treating African coffees, like, and, and how we approach them, how we engage them. Is there, is there one thing that kind of you, you would love to see change in the coming years? Um, I guess one of my pet hates is traveling um, to Africa. I stood in the clue in Ethiopia once uh, with a group of roasters who then proceeded to tell the workers in clue that they weren't roasting their coffee properly and they ought to do it like this and like this and like this. And they, they, they weren't really doing a proper job and if they did it better, they would come out with better cupping results. They were talking to people who probably tasted 200 lots of Ethiopian coffee a day. And these are people who probably cup two lots of Ethiopian coffee a day. Um, I think we've learned a lot about the science of coffee. We've had the privilege of some fantastic people, um, like the people at Lily Cafe, who've done research and scientific work on coffee and really improved our knowledge. We still have to recognize and go to Africa with a humility that says, 
often they know more than we do and they know more about their own coffee than we do and they know more about the processing and how to produce it than we do. And whilst we may have some things to say, we need to make sure that they're said in the context of we are here to learn from you, not simply to tell you what to do because we think we know how to do it better. Because there's no one better at producing Ethiopian coffee than Ethiopians at the end of the day. I, I think I'd go as far as to say as producing coffee. A lot of the Central South American producers look at Africa with like you know, jealous green eyes that they would love to learn some of the some of the things that they can do with the coffees in processing. Um, you know that Africa just like leads the way. Some of the washed coffees from you know from East Africa are just phenomenal that yep. you just can't see anywhere else. And a lot of that is down to the skill of people from. Ethiopia, Kenya, you know, that kind of whole region. So, obviously, you, 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 you see all of Africa, and there's some places in Africa it's easier to do business than others. Certainly true. Yeah. For me, when I sit down and talk to you, and I said about the war stories earlier, I mean, they literally are war stories, some of them, like from DRC and the work you've been doing there. You almost try and make it a little bit harder for yourselves. Is there a reason that you kind of go into those places where nobody else will go? Um, yeah, I think we have a very clear vision as a company. I've got some of my colleagues I'm looking at here, and we share that uh, in the company. I'm very, very lucky to have so many colleagues who share the passion um, that I have. And our company vision is to transform lives in Africa. And we believe that somewhere like DR Congo is a country with immense potential. I read a book recently called Blood River about DR Congo. It gives you the history if you like reading books. I highly recommend it. But it describes how the diets in DR Congo are absolutely terrible. The main reason is that anything which is visible above ground can be taken by militia or taken off you. And therefore, they live primarily on root crops, which have a very low calorific value. Now, the population who grow coffee in the Kivu region have suffered from militia groups coming in and out, often uh, paid for by foreign governments who want to get their hands on the resources which are in the region. And the, the local population have suffered hugely. Now, as a company, if we're not willing to go into a zone like that and improve their lives through doing coffee, then we should close up and go home. Um, that's our vision. We sat as a, a board and discussed going into DR Congo and investing more money. And we said, we may lose all of it. We're going into a zone with a lot of militia groups operating. But we sat and said, Either as a company we believe in our vision, in which case we should be ready to lose all of it if necessary, or we should actually pack up and go home. Um, so we do deliberately work in countries that other people won't. We're fortunate that there are some people who come in and help us. Um, we have PSI and DEG who give us some co-funding now in that region, and they are willing to help people who are going into these regions because they also see the need to restart the regions and help them economically. But we go in as well with our eyes open, realizing that the people there have things to teach us. They've been through some extremely difficult circumstances. A lot of the videos I just showed were from DR Congo. You come back quite humbled by the joy these people have uh, after what they've been through, their passion, their willingness to work hard, and their, their hope for the future. So you've done this to me before, and you kind of tell, oh, we're doing this. Tell me that, like, something that happened on the last trip that everybody here will go, can't happen to a real person like one of these stories that you've gone in somewhere and something's happened that just can only happen in Africa well, it can happen in Europe as well I can give you a few stories about that, but uh, a bit less often um, now we had I think I was telling you this one on the phone so um, we had some coffee missing from a warehouse recently so my colleagues who one of them is here went down recently to 
to try and find out what had gone on. Um, some pre-finance had been used to pay off a bank loan to keep the company moving and so on. Um, we went to see some stock and they said, look, we've got some of your coffee, don't worry, come and have a look at this uh, stock in a warehouse. So you had the warehouse lady proudly standing there showing us some stock. Uh, one of the two of them just, not deliberately, just walked up onto the stack and sat down while they were having a conversation and the stack gradually tipped over and collapsed to reveal a pile of wooden pallets with coffee bags stacked around it. Um, at which point the warehouse lady fell to her knees and started weeping and then started vomiting everywhere because she was so stressed. Um, so that's quite intense. That is what happens. We have to recognize that in the West we are so blessed. We have generally no need for money. None of us really lack any basic things in our lives. We are dealing with a commodity which is worth a huge amount of money. So it's like asking every employee in your office to suddenly deal with $10 million every single day in cash and never take a dollar bill out and go and buy uh, themselves a Coke in the afternoon. We have to somehow try and recognize we're very easy. Uh, very, it's very easy to sit and to say people who steal money in Africa or take a little bit off the side or a little bit of coffee steals and morally stand on a high horse and say, well, that's terrible, it's, it's terrible. I think there's many things in the West which are morally wrong, which we perfectly happily accept now because everybody struggles with them a bit. So we've made them a bit more sanitized and we say, well, that's absolutely fine. One of them is not stealing because actually none of us have too much of an issue with stealing because we're so well off. We don't really lack for anything. So we don't have a motivation to go and steal. So it's very easy to make that a really bad thing to do and get on a moral high horse and say that's terrible and then point to other things which we all take uh, a much less harsh line on. Um, because they're things we actually genuinely struggle with, which are morally wrong, rather than something we don't. So, I think, um, to me, the potential of African coffee is just incredible. Like, when we, we, we often get people come to the shop and will ask us to, like a, a, a newspaper reporter or yep. somebody opening a coffee shop, and it's always we'll give them some nice coffees, and then at one point we'll always introduce like you know like a like a kenyan or a washed yogurt chef or something or even a naturally processed ethiopian of some sort and those are the ones that always get people they'll taste it and they'll be like is this coffee I'm like yeah and it like the the flavors that you get from african coffees are are just blow people away and we call them yep. we call them a uh, gateway coffees okay because they they suddenly open the gates to everybody and let them understand how wide and varied coffee can be Whereas you know, like a, a sweet Bolivian coffee or El Salvador won't quite do the same thing, won't just bowl somebody off their chair, you know what I mean? Yep. So how far along the potential of African coffee do you think we are and, and how, how much further can we go? I think we can go a long, long way. I always think Ethiopia is the best example of one country with a million flavors in one country. I think they're blessed by having different regions with different flavor profiles and having some sun-dried coffees which have been tested uh, recently, but we cupped a table the other day. We cup everything blind in our office, so we we don't. S sorry, <laughs> a good barista again. Uh, we don't like to score anything on reputation, so we cup everything blind, so we don't know what we're cupping. And we cupped what I thought was a table of four sun-dried Jägerchef 